Koinonia, Christian fellowship, communion with God and with fellow Christians. Koinonia, an association of people who share common beliefs and activities. This is Koinonia. This is Community. And now, your host, Tom Brown. This is CNN Breaking News. Hello, I'm Wolf Blitzer in Washington. We want to welcome our viewers in the United States and around the world. We're getting new details on the breaking news, moment-by-moment developments in what will go down as the worst mass shooting in American history. At least 50 people are dead. At least 53 people are injured after a gunman opened fire at the Pulse nightclub in Orlando, Florida at approximately 2 a.m. Eastern. Police and the FBI are investigating this massacre as a possible act of terrorism. The gunman has been identified as Omar Siddiqui Mateen. He's 29 years old. And just into CNN, the shooter who committed this horrific act was, in fact, on the FBI's, FBI's radar. He was suspected of being an ISIS sympathizer, but officials say they had no indication he was plotting to carry out an attack. We are told... President Obama has been fully briefed on the shooting. He will make remarks. He will address the nation in about a half an hour from now. We will, of course, go to the White House for live coverage of that. Meanwhile, the gunman was killed in a shootout with police. uh, And as ATF agents continue to sweep the nightclub, even right now, for any possible explosive devices, officials just confirmed his body was found with a handgun and an automatic rifle. Um, if you are joining us, uh, I'd like to welcome you to Koinonia on Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ. Uh, I am your host, Al Fadi, filling in here for uh, Tom Brown. And as you have heard, uh, the intro video uh, related to the uh, current uh, terror attack in Orlando that took place uh, in the early mornings of Sunday uh, this past week. And um, all I can say is here we go again, uh, another attack and... Um, Uh, Without even uh, taking a wild guess, this attack yet once again is associated to someone who follows the religion of Islam. And I think it will be right for anyone uh, to ask the question, why Islam and what is the connection between those violent acts, terror acts, if you wish, and the teaching of the faith itself. Now, I'm fully aware of this debate out there uh, right now, especially in this um, uh, election season, uh, this political uh, arena. Um, Both sides are trying to basically uh, blame the other. Uh, But really, the real issue is we ought to think about it this way. Um, First of all, obviously, we have a lot of wonderful Muslim people whether um, American Muslims or immigrants or students or refugees. So no one, of course, is uh, pushing the blame on a group in general. Uh, But at the same time, we ought to look at the foundational teaching for that particular group. I am a former Muslim myself, and I can tell you I know the answers to all these questions, but I'm not here to promote one idea or another. I'm here to reason with everyone today uh, during the show uh, from uh, evidence that we have, uh, interviews that I will be playing, uh, video clips, and also reading some of the teaching from the primary sources of Islam itself, such as the Quran that is considered to, to be the word of Allah 
and also the hadith. And uh, we're approaching our first break. When we come back, we are going to dive into all of this information to analyze and critique uh, what is going on with the faith of Islam and why does it tie always into these terror acts. Welcome back. Um, if you have just uh, tuned in, you are listening to Koinonia on Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ. I'm your host, Al Fadi, filling in here for Tom Brown. And the topic of our discussion today uh, is related to uh, the most recent terror attack in Orlando. And specifically, the terror attack took place at a local uh, popular gay bar known as the Pulse nightclub. Nevertheless, um, I would like to uh, take a uh, uh, different angle of discussion rather than uh, uh, follow the mainstream media, uh, which will not uh, by any mean uh, address this particular dilemma and problem and theme or phenomena that has taken place recently. And what I mean by that is the connection between these terror attacks and the teaching of Islam. First of all, this particular uh, nightclub that was chosen, uh, definitely, uh, as I mentioned, it's a a gay uh, uh, nightclub. And one would wonder, uh, why would someone who uh, pledge an allegiance to ISIS, a terror group uh, with uh, a tie to the Islamic State, basically, uh, that's what I'm trying to say here, about his background or his affiliation, uh, even sympathizer, if you wish. You can call him whatever you want. But nevertheless, why would he choose a particular location like this? And in light of the recent news also that is unfolding, uh, that he also scouted, for instance, uh, Disney World, which also has uh, in the past uh, uh, definitely made bold statements related to allowing um, uh, gays to work uh, in there, to openly have a gay bride, and it's one of those occasions that he went and scouted uh, that event. So one would want to ask, is there a relationship between homosexuality and the teaching of Islam? In other words, does Islam condone or condemn homosexuality? And is it quite possible that this gentleman, Omar Mateen, did this uh, for uh, more than just pledging allegiance to ISIS and uh, wanted to be a jihadi, but also in particular trying to bring an awareness about the teaching of Islam, at least the radical form of Islam, uh, to a particular lifestyle, and in this case, homosexuality. Now, uh, I want to be sharing with you some of the teachings that are found in Islam, and I'm going to do my best to represent it as clearly and as um, justly as possible. Now, Islam consider homosexuality to be a sin, and it depends which Islamic country you're living in, 
Uh, some carry up to the death penalty as the punishment for this particular sin. Others have a different form of uh, dealing with it. It could be a jail time. It could be an exile. Uh, it could be just uh, allowing it and permitting it for maybe women only over men or uh, it's legal, but yet still no uh, finalization of whether um, uh, same-sex marriage is allowed. So this is the motif, if you wish, in the Muslim world. But let's get into the uh, countries that represent what we call today the heartland of Islam, Sunni and Shia, that's Saudi and Iran, for instance. What is the punishment basically against homosexuality in uh, countries like Saudi. Well, the punishment is the death penalty. Iran, the same thing. The punishment is the death penalty. Right here you have the two major heads of both branches, the Sunni branch and the Shia branch. They have this view that the punishment is that severe if someone is caught in this uh, type of uh, lifestyle or activity. But are they doing this out of their own interpretation? Is this a civic law that they themselves have implemented? Or there, is there indeed a precedence for this in their legal, and in this case, religious sources? What I mean is... This, does the Quran that Muslims, whether Sunni or Shia or other branches, consider to be the word of the God of Islam, teaches anything related to this behavior? Well, the Quran mentions at least the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, and in this particular uh, instance refers to the, their prophet Lot, and in Arabic they call him Lut, seven times, and it's always been mentioned in the negative it's mentioned as an example that others ought to learn from. And one of those examples, for instance, found in chapter 7 of the Quran, verses 80 to 84. And here it talks about why Sodom and Gomorrah, for instance, were punished. And it clearly indicates that the behavior of the people of Sodom and Gomorrah wasn't acceptable to the God of Islam to the point of destroying that town. Now, I know some out there always blame Christians for being this hostile against homosexuality. Well, let me tell you this. Jesus Christ taught us that he came to fulfill the law. And therefore, if you are reading the Old Testament about punishment and death and stoning, guess what? You might want to move forward to the New Testament era and know that Jesus now is opening the door for people to accept him. And indeed, and I'm not going to be shy to say that the Bible consider homosexuality as sin, according to the teaching of the Bible itself. But nevertheless, I can't find in the Bible a single command that says that you ought to go and punish those who are engaged in this behavior by executing them, as Islam teaches. Now, where do we get this idea, for instance, of killing them? Well, that's a good question. That's, that leads us usually to the teaching of the Prophet himself. You see, in Islam, there is the teaching of Allah, or God, found in the Quran, his word, and also the teaching of the Prophet of Islam, found in the so-called 
hadith, and sometimes even we may go to his biography known as Sunnah, and traditions basically between the hadith and the Sunnah is what the scholars of Islam, the Sharia law judges, will look at and say, how did the Prophet of Islam and his companion handle this particular situation? So what did the Prophet of Islam say, for instance, about uh, homosexuals? This is what he says. This is one of the hadith traditions found in so-called Sunan Abu Dawood, uh, hadith uh, uh, in uh, uh, basically book number 38, hadith number 4,447. Once again, Sunan Abu, Abu Dawood, meaning the collection of Abu Dawood, um, a volume or uh, section 38, and the hadith number is 4,447. This is what it says. The prophet of Islam says, if you find anyone doing as Lot's people did, notice the reference is to Lot's people, the Sodom and Gomorrah, Kill the one who does it and the one to whom it is done. And this particular hadith is mentioned seven times in that particular collection, uh, mentioned in uh, 4,448 and also in volume 31, 4,007, volume 31, 4,008, volume 11, 2,169, and the list can go on and on and on. You just do a simple Google search and you'll see that. What did the prophet also talk about uh, in relationship to transgenders? You see, the Quran actually deals with transgenders, and the prophet also deals with that. Nevertheless, when it comes to acts of indecency between a man and a man, or a woman and a woman, here's what the Quran says in chapter 4, verses 15 to 16. And as for those who are guilty of an indecency, notice what the Quran describes this, indecency, and I'm, I'm saying this because I don't want people to blame Christians all the time. And I'm, I, quite frankly, it's disturbing to me that Christians always get the blame for everything. Nevertheless, let's focus on the issue here. Omar Mateen declared himself to be uh, a follower of ISIS. He's a Muslim. He comes from a Muslim background. Therefore, let's see what kind of a mindset Omar Mateen had, basically, to uh, perform such an act, such heinous act, might I add, against innocent lives. Now, we're not judging people. We're talking about innocent life. Every life, by the way, according to the Bible, is made in the image of God. And every human being has a chance to examine what the Scripture says and see for themselves the gift of salvation that is given to them, and the grace of God and His love for them. Therefore, it is very important for us to compare and contrast between the Quran, that claims to be the final word of God, and the Bible that is indeed the final word of God, according to the Scripture. So what does the Quran say, once again, related to the act of a woman with woman, or a man with a man, in terms of homosexual behavior? And... As for those who are guilty of an indecency from among your women, notice now the talk is woman now. The verse continues, call to witnesses against them, four witnesses from among you. So there has to be basically four eyewitness accounts to collaborate this act. Okay, well, that's that's cool. Uh, rarely probably that you're going to have that many people watching such an act, unless if it is an open thing, you know, in a, in a place where everybody can see everybody. Nevertheless, this tells us right away, and many Islamic scholars agree, that it appears that Islam is trying to say, keep this act a secret, but if it comes to public, 
and there is eyewitness accounts, there had to be punishment for that. So here is what the verse says. If it comes to public by account of four eyewitness, then if they bear witness, confine them to the houses until death takes them away. So one punishment is exile, basically in a house arrest. Or the other option, Allah opens some way for them. It could be repentance. It could be maybe go somewhere else. Nevertheless. Now, what about men? And as for the two who are guilty of indecency from among you, speaking to the men, give them both a punishment. What is this punishment? We don't know. It's really up to the Islamic judges and courts and Sharia law to interpret those kind of punishment. And I will talk about this on the other side of our break. But nevertheless, I want to finish the verse. Then if they repent and amend, turn aside from them. Surely Allah is an oft returning to mercy. He is the merciful. Nevertheless, so we can see here that the act needs to be in, uh, in secrecy. If it comes to public, there has to be a, some form of a punishment. This is what Islam teaches. But that still doesn't answer our question. Why does ISIS do the punishment that we hear about all the time or even watch, throwing people off of a building? And why did Omar Mateen go and kill um, uh, people who are homosexuals in a particular location that he chose where they gather usually. When we come back from our break, we will continue to explore all of this. Right now, at least 20 are dead, maybe more. The shooter, also dead. Police say that he was well-prepared, he was organized. They do not believe that he was from the area. More than 40 have been taken to a local hospital. Terrified witnesses describing the horror of hearing the gunshots, seeing people injured during the chaos. Let's listen now to what they've been telling us this morning. My son was in there with his boyfriend and two other guys. They heard about 20 shots. Oh my God, dude. That went bam, 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 bam. People screaming and falling. Everybody was running. I got a text message from my daughter and my two nieces. Please come and get us. Please come get us out because he's about to kill us. Nobody knew what to do. He was like, I don't want to look up because he's, you know, if I look up, he might shoot me. There was bodies everywhere, and I was crawling. I just kept crawling. I don't know if he was left in the club, if he got shot, or if he's being worked on here. I don't know. In the parking lot, they were tagging him red, yellow, so that they know who to help first and who not to help first. He said he was going to die, and he loved me. That's the last thing I heard. It's terrible. He's my only child. My son, he got shot three times. 
Oh, so much heartbreak and anguish from those families. We should point out that the Orlando Regional Medical Center just happens to be a one block away from this particular nightclub. It is one of the top trauma centers in the country right now. They're still taking patients. And they, Dr. John Ashton was saying earlier that for each gunshot victim, they will assign six personnel, so six people for all of those 42 that so far have been transported to Orlando Regional. At the very least, we know that the victims are being well cared for at this point. We once again, uh, if you are just tuning in, you're listening to Koinonia on Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ. I'm your host, Al Fadi. I'm uh, the host of Let Us Reason and also the founder of CIRA International. I'm filling in today for uh, Tom Brown. And uh, today's topic, as you have just uh, captured a portion of this clip, related to the recent terror attack in Orlando. And we've been talking before the break uh, about the ties between this action and the teaching of Islam. And the reason why I keep bringing that up is um, we have an administration and some politicians and others who refuse to uh, to use the word Islamic terrorism. And my challenge to all of those uh, who refuse to do this is to just investigate, for instance, acts of terrorism since uh, the beginning of 1980s until just recently, last week, not only here but also in France when a cop and his wife were murdered by a uh, another uh, um, ISIS jihadi. Ask the question, why do we always have these acts of terrorism that are condoned by Islamic um, terrorist organizations and also committed by followers of Islam, whether they are born Muslims or converts to Islam? This is a phenomenon. If indeed there is no teachings found in the faith itself that condone it, then this ought to be a phenomena that needs to be studied by PhD scholars to figure out what makes people just like that snap and convert and do these kind of acts if there is indeed no such precedence for this and no such foundation that can support their action. This is why it's important, by the way, to call it as it is. It's one thing to go to an oncologist and he will tell you you have cancer. It's another to go to the oncologist and he tells you you have a brain cancer. You see, there is a difference between cancer, that we don't know where it is and how to treat it, or a brain cancer that now we know where it is and how we can treat it. And indeed, once again, I would like to appeal to the majority Muslim community here and Europe and all over the world to, if you are convinced that Islam doesn't teach and condone those kind of behaviors and actions, if you are convinced that the teaching about those behaviors in the Quran and by the Prophet of Islam are not true or taken out of context, then you ought to rise as a group, as Dr. Jasser basically have been appealing for the rest of the Islamic community to rise and to stand up against those kind of interpretations. Therefore, until that happens, it is unfortunate that many acts like this will continue to happen. And I can assure you of this, this is not going to be the last and will never be the end of those behaviors. So you will continue to do this simply uh, to see this simply because the source itself teaches and condones those behaviors. Let me give you an example of what I mean by the source. The Prophet of Islam talking about, for instance, um, uh, transgenders. This is what he says. The Prophet cursed. Notice, this is a nice word, right? Cursed effeminate men 
those who are in the similitude assume the manner of woman, and those women who assume the manners of men. And he said, turn them out of your houses. The prophet turned out such and such man, and the caliph Omar turned out such and such woman. So we can see in this hadith tradition that there is no tolerance. Now I'm going to kick it up a notch. How did the followers of the Prophet also enact punishments against this particular lifestyle or behavior? Let's look at some of the caliphs. For instance, the very first caliph that came after the Prophet of Islam, Muhammad, his name is Abu Bakr. This is what he says. There were very obviously opinions about how uh, the death penalty against the homosexual behavior had to be carried out. So, for instance... The first caliph, Abu Bakr, uh, recommended toppling a wall on the person, and he even called the person who committed this behavior an evildoer. All right? These are the words of the caliph of Islam. Don't, don't go to the Bible and tell me the Bible is talking about this right now. All right? I'm just talking to you about Islamic sources, because always the Bible gets the blame for everything, unfortunately. Nevertheless, the other option that he gave is burning the person alive. I wonder where ISIS gets these ideas from, by the way, against homosexuals in Syria and in Iraq that you can watch YouTube videos of how they're being punished. Let me show you the fourth caliph of Islam, Ali, how he handled that. He actually ordered death by stoning uh, the person who is caught in the act. And in another uh, time, he asked that the person be thrown out of the top of a high building or minaret. You wonder why ISIS throws people out of the top of buildings? I mean... What I'm, the point I'm trying to make is there is precedence for these things. Precedence. ISIS and the likes do not just dream up these kind of things. They have precedence in their own Islamic sources, starting with the Word of God, followed by the application of the Prophet, and then how the early Muslims understood those kind of teachings. Now, we move forward. The early Islam period uh, and the early, uh, basically, uh, caliphate would have been around the 7th century. So let's move forward, for instance, to the 12th century of Islam. Um, what was the punishment at that time? Well, one of the uh, jurists of Islam at that time, his name is Ibn al-Jawzi, very well known. In the 12th century, he claimed, basically, that the prophet of Islam cursed sodomites. And he said he did that in several hadith traditions. I just read one of them for you. So 500 years later, after the time of the Prophet of Islam, still the punishment the same. And he says, recommended that the death penalty be carried on both the active participant and the passive participant. In other words, both partners of the act. And 13th century, another Islamic judge, his name is Ibn An-Nuwayri, okay, in his uh, uh, book called Nihaya, or The Ending, reports that the Prophet of Islam alleged to have said uh, what he feared most for his community. The Prophet of Islam saying, I fear most for my community the practice of the people of Lot, the practice of Sodom and Gomorrah. What does that tell you? If such an act exists in Islamic country, does, does this uh, basically warning by the Prophet of Islam condone? Or does that leave it up to 
Islamic judges to decide on their own the type of punishment and deterrent that must be carried out. We're talking from Islamic sources right now. If you just tuned in, you are listening to Koinonia Radio. I am uh, your host, Al Fadi. I also have my own show, Let Us Reason, on Saturdays, and usually it's repeated on other uh, days like Sunday and other days also during the week. I am filling in here for Tom Brown, and we're talking about the most recent terror act that took place in Orlando this past weekend. And what I'm trying to uh, show here is Omar Mateen, the terrorist who committed this act of atrocity, this heinous act, uh, who is, by the way, a coward in my book, simply because of the things that he has done. Nevertheless, he wasn't really doing things that had no precedence before, meaning the act of killing uh, homosexuals. And this is why we ought to go back to the sources. We ought to learn what fuels and ignites basically these kind of behaviors in uh, the actions of the so-called Islamic terrorists. Now, we need to listen to this clip real quick. Did Omar basically pledge an allegiance to ISIS? Clip number five. Omar Mateen, the lone gunman in the deadliest shooting in American history, was an abusive and homophobic menace who was investigated by the FBI and pledged allegiance to ISIS right before his massacre, authorities and relatives said. Authorities said Mateen, 29, declared his devotion to ISIS in a 911 call shortly before killing at least 50 people at the Pulse Gay nightclub in Orlando, Florida, Sunday morning. In his final call, he also mentioned the Sarnev brothers, who executed the Boston Marathon bombing in 2013. The individual believed to be responsible for the terror attack at the Orlando Club Pulse early Sunday morning has been identified as Omar Mir Sadiq Martin, age 29, an American citizen born in New York. He died of an exchange of gunfire with police officers early this morning. The FBI first became aware of Martin in 2013 when he made inflammatory comments to co-workers alleging possible terrorist ties. The FBI thoroughly investigated the matter, including interviews of witnesses, physical surveillance, and records checks. As we can see, that there is a clear tie between Omar Mateen and the teaching of the so-called Islamic State. We are approaching our break. After the break, we will continue with our deeper analyses of the connection between Islam and how it should treat homosexuals. Welcome back to Koinonia on Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ. I'm your host, Al Fadi, sitting in here for Tom Brown. 
And um, uh, we are talking about a uh, topic uh, that I'm sure has uh, been on the news uh, uh, almost uh, every hour, and that's related to the terror attack, the most recent one, I should say, in Orlando. It's unfortunate that uh, we have terror attacks now happening all the time, and it's a phenomenon, really, that uh, all of them are connected to Islam, and yet we refuse to word, uh, use the word Islamic terrorism. Well, that's fine. Nevertheless, my job is to be the messenger, so please don't kill the messenger. Nevertheless, um, we've been, uh, before the break, discussing this. Does Islam treat violent and uh, uh, basically extreme punishment against homosexuals? And uh, so far, we've been seeing that indeed it does, according to its primary sources. Nevertheless, I'm going to let you listen now to clip number eight and how one of the most prominent Islamic scholars of our day, his name is Zakir Nayak, who has a TV show called Peace TV, how he handled a question related to homosexuality. Let's listen to that. Main doubt on um, homosexuality. Uh, Like, is it prohibited in Islam? And uh, why so? Because, uh, like, I had... Uh, like from the past five years I've been with so many homosexuals it's like uh, I mean their feelings that they have for their for the same sex or whatever it is it's so true I mean it's like the same kind of pain what we might feel for for maybe our husbands or whoever it is if it's wrong why is it wrong sister has the question that what does Islam say about homosexuality and if it's wrong why it is wrong Allah says in the Quran in Surah Isra, chapter number 17, verse number 32, that come not close to adultery, for adultery is an evil opening other roads to evil. Besides that, Allah says in Surah Araf, chapter number 7, that telling to men that do you practice your lust after men in preference to women? That means homosexuality is prohibited in Islam, in the Quran. Because Almighty God made the human beings. Allah says in the Quran in Surah Rum, chapter number 30, verse number 21, that He has put love between the hearts of husband and wife. Almighty God has made the human beings in such a way that they love the opposite sex. Generally, naturally, no human being loves the same sex. I'm talking about the love which is required in husband and wife, not the plutonic love which you have between your brothers and between your sisters. Now, initially, there was a research which said that homosexuality is genetic. So during question answer time, somebody asked me, the way you're asking, if homosexuality is genetic, then how is that human being to blame? It came from his parents. So why is he to blame? Like you're saying, if someone loves someone else, so why should he be blamed? I said this is a research. This is a hypothesis. It's not a fact. And later on we came to know that this hypothesis was wrong and the person who propounded this hypothesis, he himself was a homosexual. So homosexuality is not genetic. It comes today, science tells us, how do homosexuals... So, you've heard this Islamic scholar, Zakir Nayak. He made it very clear 
Homosexuality is prohibited according to the Quran. And the idea that you are born that way is totally unacceptable according to the teaching of the Quran. So please, if you're out there listening, trust me, it has nothing to do with Christians. You know, I'm just going to repeat it again. Don't blame Christians and Christianity for everything related to uh, hating this group or hating that group. If there are Christians out there that hate people, that's not what the Bible teaches, by the way. All right? So we want to make it very clear here. Nevertheless, according to the Quran, according to the teaching of Islam, homosexuality is prohibited. Now, how do Islamic countries handle this? For instance, is it criminalized? It is indeed. In fact, the, um, there are countries that uh, uh, go as far as um, using the uh, capital punishment, the death penalty uh, against homosexuals. Saudi Arabia, Yemen, Iran, Afghanistan, Mauritania, Nigeria. Those are the seven countries that do that. It is also uh, a capital, uh, capital offense uh, in countries like United Arab Emirates, uh, in countries like Qatar or Algeria or Uzbekistan or the Maldives, for instance, it's punished with time in prison or a fine or a combination, basically, of those two. In Egypt, for instance, openly gay men have been prosecuted. In fact, just recently, a video was released on YouTube of a uh, gay marriage, and uh, the uh, people were captured later by the government and thrown in jail as a punishment, uh, basically. Now, is it legal. Well, in Turkey, uh, for instance, it is legal. In fact, under the Ottoman Empire, uh, which is the predecessor of the modern-day Turkey, they decriminalized homosexuality in 1858, uh, known as the uh, movement of Tanzim, or reorganization, basically. And uh, Turkey, of course, uh, has 99.8%, basically, of its population uh, to be Muslim. Uh, So it's not criminalized. However, um, uh, same-sex marriage is not also permitted in Turkey, and there has been recent discussions related to this. Now, um, it is legal, uh, for instance, uh, um, uh, same-sex, uh, basically not the marriage, but the, the behavior is legal in Albania, as, uh, Azerbaijan, uh, Bahrain, uh, Bosnia, in Kuwait. As a matter of fact, uh, it is legal for women, but it's not legal for men. So, This is at least a quick survey when it comes to uh, Islam and its teaching related to homosexuality. Uh, Let's listen now to this clip. Uh, According to an Iranian imam or a clerk, what should be the punishment for homosexuals? And uh, uh, this is clip number 10. Death is the sentence. I mean, look, there's nothing to be embarrassed about this. Death is the sentence. Here's a story you won't see anywhere else. A Muslim scholar says killing homosexuals is the compassionate thing to do. And he's just hours away from speaking at an Islamic center right here in Central Florida. Channel 9's Field Sutton's been trying to find out why the group invited him to Sanford. Off camera, one of the people who is a member here told me that Sheikh Farouk Saskalishvar's speech last night on women's issues was well-received and not particularly controversial. But we already know that many people in the Sanford area and around Central Florida are upset about what is coming tonight. 
Yeah, I'll ask him. Seminole County resident Alan Kornman told Eyewitness News he couldn't believe what a simple Google search turned up about the man speaking at this Islamic center tonight. It's appalling. In fact, it's inciting violence against gays, and I find that reprehensible. Dr. Farouk Sekalashvar lives in Iran, according to his online bio, and he's been condemning homosexuals since at least 2013. Death is the sentence. I mean, look, there's nothing to be embarrassed about this. Death is the sentence. He admits the Islamic death sentence applies in limited circumstances and is not applicable under U.S. law. But he also says the only way gays and lesbians can be forgiven is to die. Well, we have to have that compassion for people. With homosexuality the same. Out of compassion, let's get rid of him now. I asked Reverend Brian Fullwider of the Interfaith Council of Central Florida what he thinks about Sakalashvar's rhetoric. These issues around homosexuality um, and, and the, the crying of it or denouncing of it by religion takes away often from our really important tasks of helping our community. He told me he wishes the congregations would focus on helping the poor, the homeless, and the abused instead of persecuting a group that can take care of itself. In Sanford, Field Sutton, Channel 9 Eyewitness News. Now, in the past hour, we spoke with one of the leaders from the Husseini Islamic Center. Well, it's, uh, it can't get any clearer than this. Uh, this is a clerk from Iran. Uh, Iran represents the majority uh, Shia Muslims in the world. In fact, the uh, population of Iran itself is more than 95% of of them follow the Shia branch of Islam. He made it clear that uh, uh, death is the penalty, and he calls it an act of mercy. In other words, once uh, the punishment is carried out, uh, God may have mercy in a person who has been executed. Well, um, I know uh, if, uh, if you're just tuning in, you're listening to Konania on Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ. I'm your host, Al-Fadi, fill in for Tom Brown, and uh, we're almost approaching the end of our show. So I want to uh, uh, shift gears a little bit here now, focus more on the act of terror to handle those kind of things, by the way. Why revert to violence, for instance? Why not just reason with people? Uh, why not meet with them? Why not try to understand, for instance? Why not really be tolerant of those who may be going against the tide? I, for instance, um, uh, according to the Constitution and even the Bible, allows people to have their free will, the choice to choose whatever uh, they want to do according to the law, within the law, within the limit and parameters of the law, not just uh, acting uh, irrational, of course. But at the end of the day, God is the judge. We are not to go and judge people and just uh, carry out uh, acts on our own, for instance. So, here is what we are going to uh, examine now. Does, that's the question, Islam in its teaching permit these acts of violent and killings, for instance, uh, against infidels? Because according to Islam, uh, homosexuals considered in the same category, basically, of those who strayed away from the faith. So in chapter 2 of the Quran, verse 191 to 193, this is what it says, and kill them wherever you find them. That's talking about killing infidels, talking to jihadis, to Muslims who want to fight. In chapter 2, the same chapter, verse 216, fighting is prescribed for you. In chapter 2, verse 244, then fight in the cause of Allah. You see, if the cause of Allah says to purify the land from any behaviors that are not acceptable to Islam, then fighting becomes, or killing in this case, that's the Arabic word, becomes the solution. Okay? Uh, as to those who reject faith... I will punish them with terrible agony in this world. 
and in the hereafter. So if you are a homosexual, according to Islam, you are rejecting the faith of Islam that condones, uh, that condemns this behavior and does not tolerate it. Chapter 3, verse 56. And there is many, many other things as well. However, I wish we have enough time to talk about this. You are welcome to join me on my own show, Let Us Reason, uh, where I will be discussing these topics as well. And usually it's aired on Saturdays around 10.30 a.m. on KPXQ 1360. If you're just tuned in, you're listening to Konani on Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ. I'm your host, filling in for Tom Brown. And when we come back after the break, we will have some final comments. Well, welcome back to Coin and Neon Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ. I'm your host, Al Fadis, uh, filling in here for Tom Brown. And uh, today's topic has been on a terror attack in Orlando, and we were trying to tie between Islamic teachings and uh, how it reacts to homosexual behavior. And uh, in closing, I really want to go back to the Word of God, the Bible, and say this. You know, the Bible is very clear about uh, acts that are not uh, condoned by God. But uh, the Bible gives you a chance. In 1 John 1, 9, it says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Uh, Romans uh, 3.23 drops the bomb on us and tells us that for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But yet, at the same time, in Romans 6.23, we get this wonderful news for, uh, um, I should say, in Romans 5.8, we get this wonderful news. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died, you see, not people getting killed. God is a God of patience. God is the God of salvation. And with that in mind, I just want to close by saying what our Lord himself says to those who want to commit acts of evil and violent like Omar Mateen. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and has nothing to do with the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of all lies, and that's Satan himself. With that said, I want to thank you for listening uh, to this wonderful program today. Uh, Feel free to share all of this information with uh, others that needs to be uh, uh, educated on this. And also, please remember to join me on my own radio show, Let Us Reason, where I will be talking about the same topic in the next two weeks. Until we meet again, I'm your host, Al Fadi, filling for Tom Brown. Uh, The Lord bless you. 